And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, uh, a podcast uh, about live following Watford Football Club uh, brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, we are doing this on Sunday because on Saturday, Watford won at home 3-0 against the Blue Noses. Yes, that's Birmingham City. Uh, I'm joined this morning by Mike. Very good morning to you, John. And Jason. Good morning. And well, let's have a bit of fun talking about the fifth Watford win in a row. Oh, yes, indeedy. Uh, it was, Mike, it came after uh, a midweek game where we saw Ishmael Assar go off. Your first thoughts, Michael, with Ishmael Assar, as the week went on, thinking he's not going to start, he's not going to start. No, it felt the, the communications that were, that were coming from the club, the updates were sort of suitably woolly, that it felt like he's probably not going to make it against Birmingham, but isn't going to be a long-term doubt. I think if it was a serious injury, they would update accordingly. Uh, so you're, you're, you're thinking, so how are we going to fill in the gap for our, our finest player this season? I thought it was going to be easy. I thought they would put Zinkenagel out on the right and bring Gosling in into the uh, into the space vacated by Zinkenagel in the midfield. Pretty pretty straightforward. I thought it was going to be very straightforward until we find out that Zinkenagel uh, had picked <laughs> up an injury and instead Isaac Success started for Watford. I mean, let, let's not talk about how we felt at the beginning of the game. Let's let's put how we felt after that game. But the, the big question we had going into this game after seeing the, the, the team at two o'clock, was how are Watford going to be an attacking force? Are we going to have enough of an attacking force? And well, it didn't take long, did it, Jason? Eight minutes uh, for the first goal to go in from King Ken after a, a knockoff uh, from either success into the path of Jao Pedro, who ran at force, did exactly what you're meant to do uh, as a striker. Definitely, I was taught when I was eight years old playing football, shoot across the goal, uh, and the goalkeeper will get stretched and won't be able to grab hold of it properly, and your, your partner can come in and, and score the goal. That's exactly what King Ken did. And, you know, as an attacking force early on, Jason, did you feel like we were, were missing something? No, I don't think so, because the biggest worry, I guess was would we be able to retain that fluidity that we've seen with the front three when we're changing the personnel? Um, and I think the goal was a evidence that, that we didn't lose anything in that fluidity because you had success was involved in the goals. So he laid off the, uh, the pass to Pedro. Pedro, who I think had started on the right, popping up to the left of success, makes a run, gets his shot away. Ken, who'd started on the left, pops up on the right-hand side, I must admit, I, I, I held my celebration because I was worried an offside flag was going to go up, but he timed his uh, follow-up to perfection like any good striker would do and pops it in the back of the net. So, yeah, I, I, I thought the, the fluidity that we've seen over the past few games with that front three that I thought may be lacking, particularly with Isaac coming in for his first start, it was, it was still there and, and the, sort of the, the players were 
knitting and interchanging well together. Mike, do you feel that the performance, the attacking performance at least, was was fluid? You know, King Ken, we have said that he has had some some not wasn't imposing himself recently on on the games. We've been very very positive about Jao Pedro. Did they fit in with? with sorry, did Isaac fit in with them for it to be? As you've you said on many podcasts, the you know every single time Watford attack, you've been saying recently, it feels like we're going to school. Yeah, I mean, on Isaac's success, there is obviously still a hope that he can do well. He was brought into the club, let's not forget, for 12 million quid. And he's sort of almost been a bit of a jokey figure, hasn't he? We sort of laugh about him, hoping that he can come good. But we don't, with the, with the utmost of respect, no one really takes him super seriously as a as a, as a going to be a functioning striker, do we? But there's obviously a hope there that he hasn't started a league game for, I think, two years. And they've thrown him in in, a, in, a, in an important game. So I think there is... Still hope there. There are embers of of hope that he's going to going to perform, and I think he I think he did all right, certainly in the first half. And I think Jason hit on it well by using the word interchangeable, because what those front three do, they roam, don't they? They switch sides sometimes. They they switch roles. They pop up in different places, um, keeping the keeping the defence on their toes. And it did he did look sometimes, and you think, oh, and Isaac's success is sort of a little bit probably not where he needs to be in that in that sort of formation in that that approach. But I thought, largely speaking, he popped up where you'd expect him to and, and hoped to in, in the first half. And really, we probably could have been home and hosed. We, we had some decent ball, decent chances in the in and around the area. It didn't quite come off. Um, so, yeah, first half, I was I was I was really pleased. I mean, a big, big part of that success is uh, <laughs> a big part of Watford's success going forward is, is Kiko on the right. He just makes so many inroads and makes it so many difficult difficult for the opposition you know that overlap we get going on the right um with pedro sort of popping balls off and the the, the defense don't know if he's going to sort of cut inside with a little turn or lay it off and, and and get inside in the box for a cross so i think it's just that roaming ability that they have in the in, the, in that final third and yeah i thought i thought all things considered i thought in the first half in particular i thought i thought he fitted in pretty well the important thing that didn't change was the fact that that back four are the same back four that we've had for, for a while now. Um, they're solid. Uh, and also, just in front of them, two very decent midfielders. I don't know if you've, uh, the rest of the world has heard of them yet, and hopefully they will do. Uh, and really say how many... Hopefully they won't. Hopefully they won't. Well, <laughs> hopefully the ones with a bit of money won't. Uh, is, is Will Hughes uh, and, of course, Nathaniel Chalabar. Now, we've really talked about Will and how he is the most important player for this turnaround uh, and moving him into being a, a central, deeper player. But Nathaniel is almost my favourite player this year for how far they've come around. You know, but when you were under eights uh, and uh, you used to have player of the season and most improved player of the season. Uh, Nathaniel, for me, Mike, has improved dramatically. Mostly that comes down to because what he's adding to this team consistently now is the thing that is impressive the most. What do you put it down to? What is it, what is it he doing differently now? Well, clearly it's been put on the front of the programme, I think, which <laughs> yes. was absolutely, and I have to say, the programme covers this season have been absolutely magnificent. So hat tip to whoever's designing those at, at Watford. This one was, was another stunning front cover. He he was suspended after the Bournemouth game, wasn't he? And then so he had a, a little time to, to sit back and watch Watford performing really well in his absence. And it feels to me that he's used that time to flick a switch mentally. Now, he was rewarded with the captaincy when he came back into the side, as we as we spoke about, and performed really well. And it, it, it and it was a, a colossal performance against Birmingham yesterday. And it feels like he's emotionally um, 
improved. He, the, the discipline is much better. He's still a bit yappy with the, the the referee, but gone are the sort of pedantic fouls, are the sort of flailing of arms and, and complaining. He is fully, fully focused on on delivering for his team. And the results are, are spectacular. You know, I've been as critical as anyone as uh, of Chalabar over the over the years, and because we're desperate to see the, the player that we know is in there, and and it feels like. I think I would put it down to him making a decision. I've got an, oppos- an opportunity to help drive this team back into the Premier League and I want to make sure that I give it everything I've got. And, and I'm seeing a hugely, hugely changed player and an absolute joy to watch against Birmingham yesterday. He was brilliant. I also felt that there's a moment and all this, all this came after the closing of the January transfer window where maybe in, in January for the whole of the month, but definitely towards the end of the month, you know, the, the talk of going to play at yeah. top four Leicester would have, you know, given him some sort of diversion. Uh, and you worry how long that would last for. The distraction's gone, but maybe he did see, well, if I perform even better, then I, I can get my, my next move, uh, either with Watford to the Premier League, uh, but I could get myself into the Premier League if my performances keep keep shining. Jason, what was your favourite moment for Nathaniel? Was it was it the goal uh, or was it or was it his defending abilities? The goal was nice and uh, but that's probably not a Nathaniel moment. That was a team moment for me. Just just a, a quick point on that. I love the fact that we had a man short. We drew two Birmingham defenders out of the box because of that and then stuck it tra- stuck it straight into the mixer because it gave us a bit of an advantage and the ball was put exactly where Chalibur expected to be. One off the training ground, fantastic stuff. Really, really hard to defend against. So, so love seeing that. But the, the the key moment was that block in the first half, wasn't it? Mm. I think. I mean, I certainly went. I sort of stood up and went, "Wow!" When he made that block, it was a big moment. You, you talk about cliche alert. Um, sort of these goal-saving tackles that are that they're worth a goal themselves. Um, and, it, and it probably was because it was a, it would have been a clear-cut chance. It, we'd have done well to have kept that one out of the net if he uh, hadn't got the block in. And just the speed with which he sort of got down to the ball to block it, uh, very, very impressive. The determination to get there just sums up what you guys have just been sort of saying about him and how he's been playing since the, like I say, since the end of the uh, January transfer window. It's a big, big moment. And, and I'm pretty sure... Watford fans uh, across the county would have been doing the same as I and sort of standing up and applauding that block. You see, well, I, don't, I, hang on, I don't think it was. He didn't put the effort in to that, uh, that save, uh, that block. It, it was instinct. You know, there's no time to think in a moment like that. He just threw himself in the split second, which just shows his heightened uh, awareness. And it's just fantastic when a, a player is just so focused um, and just not, you know, just not thinking. I know that sounds ridiculous, but they're they're going off uh, instinct. It always feels more powerful. Absolutely, John. And I think that speaks to his his height and level of commitment's the wrong word because I, I never question a, a player's commitment, but just his complete sort of he's given himself to the cause, hasn't he? And I think that that chimes with what you say. But and just to finish off on on that moment, I'm, what I absolutely adored about it, A, was that he, he I, it was going to be a goal. I thought I was like, you know, you're tense, you're ready for the ball to hit the back of the net. And he stopped it and then he celebrated it. He's just stood there and let out a sort of massive roar, both mm. fists sort of clenched, just like... And it was it summed up not just him but the whole team over the last couple of weeks, and the, he he celebrated it almost like it was a goal, 
Um, and that that it was just so rewarding to see that he realised what he delivered for his side. And yeah, I really like what you've suggested there, John, as well. That he didn't have to, have to think about it. He didn't have to work extra hard to do it. He just did it because he's so in tune, so ready, and so sort of committed. It was a I thought it was a really telling telling moment and um, possibly my, my moment of the match it could have you know the game could have changed there if that had ended up in the back of the net you know Birmingham throwing those bombs into the into the box we could have started to look a little bit nervous so absolutely huge moment and a huge performance from uh, yeah from a from a key performer and, and people have mentioned it on Twitter and we've alluded to it here he could have gone in January he really could have gone and you know what a different uh, what a different landscape it would have been had he done so I mean, you were getting worried, Michael, on the WhatsApp group about the, the bombardment from Birmingham, which I don't think they actually did get a shot on target uh, within the first half. But it was, you know, that, that did come down to performances like Nathaniel in terms of his defensive play. Uh, but also, Sierra Alta having a, another wonderful game where you worry, you know, when you see, you worry about these big championship strikers and what they can do aerially. You know, we know how successful Troy Deeney was. But he dealt with them the entire entire game uh, and there was a wonderful interview on a, on the club's uh, YouTube channel on Hive Live Extra where he's he's got a, a translator uh, but you can just sort of see this 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 fellow who's very focused um, and very business like and that's the performances we're getting from him from him isn't it Jace it is it is and uh, yeah, yeah I think you got it exactly right there they you know what you're going to get with Birmingham um, playing four four two they've got big Lukas Jukovic up front they're going to get the ball out wide whip those crosses in he's going to look to put headers in the back of the net it's how they got their goals against Reading in their winning midweek so I think Sierra Alta and Tristy Cogna exactly what they they needed to do yesterday um, and I think apart from a an early cross that I think went over Sierra Alta's head and off Jukovic's um, shoulder. I don't think he got another another sniff with his head after that. And it was, again, it was Sierra Alta. And in fact, I think we should mention Chalabar again here because he got on his head on a lot of the set pieces of coming into the box. So it was those two, Chalabar and Sierra Alta, clearing it time and time again and just doing what they needed to do. And again, there's no there's no frills about this stuff. They're just keeping the ball away from our... Um, from our penalty area it's, it's it's they're not looking to do anything fancy anything silly you look at the stats again i think johnny mentioned it no shots on target in the first half and i think there was a long range effort in the second half one shot onto that that backman had to save and that's because you've got these center backs just clearing it out winning the ball determination challenging again time and time again not giving the strikers a sniff what I loved about them as well is they, Sierra Alta loves a battle and he's he, he's not going to get beaten up by anyone. He, he's just so, so strong. And, and the way they sort of stood up to the the aerial bombardment, I thought was, was mightily impressive because they did have a couple of routines. And certainly in the first half, more those, you know, those long throw-ins to the box, you, 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 you're basically defending against a free kick or a corner every time they get a throw-in in, in, in our half. So... The way they gobbled those up was was brilliant, but it's just with Sierra Alta in particular, it's just his innate sense of positioning where he needs to be. He can see that sort of what sort of attack. You know, yesterday Birmingham were pretty one dimensional, so it was slightly easier than it will will have been against um, against better sides. But his positioning means he gets the ball in a situation where you know the left back or the right back can str- doesn't need to be close. Because they know that they, he's going to mop it up and and play a ball, or he's going to get it to Trusty Kong, who's going to try and play a ball to to to, to a Watford man. It's just I just noticed his positioning. He sort of seemed to assess what the threat was going to be 
really, really early and it allowed Watford as a whole just to set, not just to defend, but also then to, to, to start moving in the other direction again. And you just know, I think you just notice how Messina and, and then Lazar, when he came on, they don't need to be close to him. I think when you're a defensive unit that's struggling, you tend to sit back and you you want to be helping your teammates out and sort of all hands on deck. Not a bit of it yesterday. Those two at the back were just um, were, were fierce when they had to be, and then cool, calm, and collected um, when when they didn't. I thought it was it was absolutely imperious from from Sierra Alta. Again, it was, and if it wasn't for an, an, an absolutely monstrous performance from from Talibar, he would Sierra Alta would have been my my man of the match. I thought he was he was staggeringly good yesterday. Uh, there's true strength of, of the team uh, really shone when we made substitutions. You know, we, we've talked about the, the, the team in terms of attack wasn't exactly what we wanted. Two key creative players out. How do we cope? Fairly well. But it was, it was the substitutions that really give me the biggest comfort. Uh, we saw the, the substitution of, of Gosling going off uh, and Sanchez coming on, Mike. Um, Gosling mm. was definitely ready to come off. He looked tired, didn't he? Which you know he's had a knock and he's and he's come back in. But what a signing he's he's turning out to be. You've talked about you know we've had to make changes to that side. And in the last couple of pods, I've sort of said, well, it'd be interesting to see what we're like when it's not our first choice eleven. Well, it wasn't our first choice eleven yesterday. But you know, as you as you've said, John, I think the theme of this is the strength and depth, and everyone that came in played particularly well. And I think Gosling deserves immense credit for his for his contribution yesterday. And I think the club deserve immense credit. For, for what what evidently is a, a canny signing. But yeah, he was definitely ready to come off. I think he, he came over to take a, a corner routine with, with Ken Semmer just before that substitution. And he looked like me just um, after I've travelled gun up the stairs at the way, at way end at Newcastle United. <laughs> he was a tired boy. Of course, you're taking off Dan Gosling, who's helped get Bournemouth promoted as champions. They've He's then played an integral part in, in, in five years in the Premier League for them. So he's got great experience. He showed that yesterday. And on comes Carlos Sanchez, um, an 88 cap international. He did almost give the ball, he gave the ball away with an errant pass. I think he tried to, to, to pass it backwards and it, uh, and it was really, really short. And he basically gave the ball away and, and Birmingham broke and almost carved an opportunity. So his first touch, again, was a little bit lacklustre. I think Matt Rouse had made the point on, on Twitter that virtually every time he's played, his first touch has been a bit dubious. But after that, he hasn't really put a foot wrong at all. And he's just, it goes back to what you were saying about, about the defensive guys. Cool, calm, doing the sensible things and doing them incredibly well. He puts a foot on it. He looks for a pass, keeps it simple, keeps the ball for Watford. And while we've got the ball, what can the opposition not do? Not a thing. So I just thought it's hugely encouraging that, that we've got those sort of players to come on. And, he, and I feel like, apart from that first touch excluded... I think he's come up to speed pretty pretty well. It's, it helps that he's come into a team in form, but if he sort of to, to gum it up is a little bit a little bit reductive. That's probably not doing him credit. But he's just a, a solid, safe pair of hands in in, in the centre there that can just keep the ball, keep it ticking over. Um, and yeah, Gosling for Sanchez was a was a wonderful wonderful sub. But I, I do want to give credit to, to Dan Gosling. I think he's been a, a really clever signing for us, and I think he could um, he could play a big part in the uh, in the running. There was, of course, the uh, the straight swap for Messina and Lazar, uh, but but Hungbo got a, a little bit more time. Jason, just over half an hour, uh, came on uh, for Isaac's success, which which surprised me a little bit. Andre did did come on. We'll talk about him in a minute. But but Hungbo came on originally out on the right, uh, but then when uh, the second set of the third set of substitutions happened, he, he was flung over to the to the left. 
Uh, we're seeing a little bit more of him. We spoke about him uh, with Adam uh, on on the midweek podcast. Uh, what did you see from him yesterday, Jace? Yeah, same again. I think you're right. When success came off, perhaps we were expecting to see Gray come on at that point. But having said that, I was pleased to see Hungbo come on to have another run. Uh, um, obviously 2-0 up, so a bit less pressure on him coming on. Give him a bit of freedom to do what he likes to do and run at players. I think he started so he started on the right-hand side. We didn't see so much of him after those first changes. It was really only when he moved to the left that we started to see him get involved. Um, and he had a couple of a couple of little runs. And you can see even at such a, a, a relatively young age, part of him has a good football brain and perhaps there's still bits that need to be developed. So his starting position is really good. Holding his run to the right time, which allows him to sort of break past the uh, the defensive line and get into good positions running onto those balls are being put through for him. First one he got, he had a he had a shot when perhaps he could have passed to Andre yeah. um, to double his tally. And that was probably in his mind then when he made the next run a, a minute or two later when he's then tried to get it across to Andre and it didn't quite work. So th- th- there's still a little bit of a raw talent there. But what I love is the fact that you've got a player there that he has, he clearly has ability um, and he's got the confidence to use that ability. And that should only grow if we, if we get some more game time. Um, hopefully, we can see him develop and uh, become uh, a part of this Watford side, a more established part of this Watford side. His little cameos have been against Wickham, Forest, and Birmingham, three sides that that are struggling. So I think we do need to, yeah, to I'd, caveat I'd, with I'd, that. But I'd counter that with counter that with his his first appearance against Man United in the cup. Yeah, when, yeah, absolutely. When he came on and had and had a, a good little run as well, and. Uh, um, didn't yeah didn't do himself a, a disservice there. So I think yes, I mean like I said, it's good to come on against when you tune it up against weaker sides. But I think he is, I think it's there, and I think it continues John's John's theme, which is absolutely right. That to have someone like Hungbo who can come on and run at a defence, whether it's Man United or or Birmingham City, you know it doesn't matter if someone's going to come on full of energy and confidence. That is an incredible thing to be able to to bring on and we've talked about you know Ben Foster said it he's the first person to say it. we've got eight cup finals left haven't we which is which is true now and everyone's going to have to contribute and what I absolutely love from from Hungbo yesterday certainly when he switched to the left you know with 85 88 89 90 minutes on the clock there's no he's he's driving forward he's looking to to, to be positive and, and keep things ticking over and that that can only be a good thing for this side. It just it just breeds more confidence, doesn't it? That we're even though the game is done and dusted, three 0 up against a team who's fighting relegation, who were who were probably done and dusted half an hour ago. We're still looking to get our foot on their neck and and and, and score more goals. And for him to be able to come on is it's just really exciting, isn't it? And you know it'd be you know, it'll face bigger challenges than he did yesterday, but. You know, if the if the if the team that we've got can put in a shift for for seventy five minutes and and on comes on, on comes Joe Hungbo, fresh legs, then that's potentially really really exciting for us, isn't it? I think it was. I I, I absolutely agree with you, and I I would say that the the teams he's played against are less of an issue than the than the positives of how good he's looked. If if that makes sense, I think it's important to keep our feet on the ground. But similarly. I think he's been. You can only play what's in front of you, and every time he's done it, he's he's done it really well. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do because he's got a lot to prove. I think after you know, um, he's it, it, late in the career for a youngster, if that makes sense. So, um, fingers crossed that that trajectory continue. The genius uh, substitution, uh, and we can say that because it works <laughs> so 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 quickly, uh, is when Ken Semmer and Jao Pedro came off. I mean, you didn't do much, lads. Are you joking? Uh, and on come uh, in Gakia and Andre Gray. 
And within seconds uh, and their first uh, touches of the ball, the third go- goal goes in. Now, 38 I, seconds it was, John. 38, 38 seconds. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing, you know, that we, we see Ngakia. And I, I was getting a bit worried about him in terms of seeing such a, a bright start this season. You know, when he was on the right and we'd, we'd flung over uh, Kiko onto the, onto the left when we didn't have Messina. He was showing great promise. It could have been a massive season for him. He has fallen back down that, that pecking order. But he came on, pushed his way forward, put through Andre through, who had, I believe, just the right amount of time. Enough time to set himself, but not to lo- enough time to think too much about it. Uh, and he, he slotted the ball perfectly underneath uh, the Birmingham City goalkeeper. Brilliant, Mike, just to see Andre again. Not necessarily because he's starting games, Watford, but... He was able to put the ball in the back of the net, and that's the important thing uh, when it comes to goal difference at this point in the season. Yeah, and you, you say it's a genius substitution, and, and and it was a clever substitution, I think. No, it was genius. Can... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go with it. Genius. Thirty-eight seconds. I mean, come on, it's a chess move. Yeah, and uh, just putting Ngakia sort of on that right-hand side in a slightly more advanced. Um, advanced position it, it just gave a little bit of extra protection over there didn't it you know it was 2-0 at the time and you know it's a, it's a dangerous score in football apparently people keep saying well I, I think Watford being 4-0 up with two minutes to go is a dangerous score so um, <laughs> protecting the 2-0 you know making us a solid over on that right hand side was felt like a, a comforting and sensible move you know it's not it's not conceding ground but it's putting someone over there who's de- who's going to do a do a job and that was yeah, that was shown straight away. A really, really strong tackle, and pinched the ball. Lovely ball through for Andre Gray, and absolutely delighted to see. Like you say, John, I think you're absolutely right. It's perfect for a striker. Took it on. Still had plenty to do. Needed a good touch. Needed a good finish. And we got both of those things from him. So yeah, and we're talking about we needed strength in depth. Um, we got stuff from everything. But for a striker, the best thing you can get is a goal. And and for for Andre Gray to get another one. A really good one to finish off the game, um, I think, was was hugely encouraging. After game, Adam uh, Leventhal, the Athletics correspondent for Watford Football Club, was at the press conference, uh, sent us through the audio of what Cisco had to say. How, with all his injuries, was he feeling about his players? And was the international break coming at the best time? I have a very good luck with, uh, with the player, you know, because they give uh, everything 100% for, for the squad. I'm very happy with, uh, with everyone. Is uh, five wins in the row, and uh, for us, it's the first time in our championship. Amazing challenge for us, but we can celebrate today. But we have a big job until the final because we have uh, eight important games, and it's important every day know what is our process and give all the best in all the situations. Uh, I told you, I'm lucky. Believe me, I have uh, 24, and noise today only. I say, you know, I say always. The first day also, I think the same. You know, I have uh, 24 players. And it uh, doesn't matter who play today, come back, Isaac, and I think give a bigger force for the team because it's the first time until I don't know how many times without play, but he give a bigger force. And after play, Gray, and give another time a score. It's very good when you feel the players stay with uh, 100% with the uh, focus in, the, in, our, in our challenge. And this is amazing. I think uh, it's very good. It's very good for me. It's very good for the club. It's very good for all the staff. And uh, it's amazing when you work every day with the training ground and you see everyone is, uh, is trying to give 100% for, 
for our for our team. Give me one day free, <laughs> please. <laughs> you know our championship is very hard. You know I don't take the emotions. You know it's just, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. Uh, I think we are have we have a little more time for work because it's important. Uh, and don't forget we are we are building different ideas. Well, I don't know if it's good or not. Stop right now. But also, I think they need a little rest because the players give uh, always a bigger force for 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 take the points. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Mike's surname is Parkin, and it's been a while, but he has a son called Arlo, and this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson. It's Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. Yeah, you've got a bit of a cold, haven't you? So uh, thank you very much for battling on and joining us. Luckily, Watford are in a decent shape, probably a little bit better shape than you're in today. But eight games to go in the season, going for promotion. What or who do you think is going to be most important for Watford as they try and bounce back into the Premier League? Messina. Messina. Interesting shout. Why do you say Adam Messina? Um... Not completely sure, but I feel like he's one of the fittest and strongest players we have. He's certainly turned in some really decent performances, and how are you feeling about Watford as a whole at the moment? Good, but also Chalabar, because he had a great performance, well, yesterday. He did, he absolutely did. Arlo, we're going to let you get some rest. Watford are going to do the same. Hopefully we're all back fitter for the running. Thanks, mate. We're not going to talk about the, the, the games coming up, the, the run-in. Uh, we're going to do that next week uh, on a special international break podcast. We're going to look ahead to the last eight games. Uh, but you can keep involved. There's going to be lot, plenty on The Athletic uh, this next two weeks. Uh, about England, of course, but all the sports. But uh, Adam's working on lots of content for, for Watford. Uh, you can go uh, and subscribe, if you don't do already, uh, by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end, uh, where it's currently three ninety nine a month, which is half price. Uh, and you'll get that for six months. Uh, and, of course... As a subscriber, you'll get every sports story that matters, breaking news and in-depth analysis. And of course, it's ad-free on the website and of course, all the podcasts that you listen to if you are a subscriber are ad-free. Now on Friday night, Watford played, yesterday the under-18s played in the FA Youth Cup. You might watch it on YouTube. Our mate Colin did uh, and I caught up with him yesterday to find out what he thought about the under-18s. <laughs> Colin, on uh, Wednesday's podcast, we talked about young players, we talked about Hungbo, we talked about the, you know, the, the sons of Pochettino and, uh, and Bergkamp. For you, though, as, as a, a fan, you, know, you, you, you spent the time watching this youth team on, on YouTube on a Friday night, but 
yeah, as, as a, you know, a Watford fan of your age, how important is, is seeing young Watford players thriving? Oh, well, I mean, it's, um, it's just one of the best parts about being a, a football fan of a club that you're very much sort of embedded in. Is uh, There's nothing better, I don't think, than seeing uh, some young, young kid emerge through the academy uh, and coming through you know, the, the age groups and in, onto the bench of the first team and then getting on. And we've seen that this season. We've seen a couple, actually. We've seen Phillips in the early part of the season. And more recently, we've seen Hungbo come on and, and give a good account of himself. But on Friday night, and first of all, I'd just like to give credit to the club, actually, because putting this FA Youth Cup game on, on their YouTube channel is, is probably not necessarily that straightforward, or maybe it is. But either way, uh, they deserve credit for having made the effort to do it, partly because, of course, the stadium... Uh, was empty and it means that the parents and grandparents of uh, these very young players and this is this is below the under 23s this is the under 18s some of them on the pitch were 15 years old Lily's age so for the parents and grandparents it's a proud moment uh, for them to be playing in this you know I think a very prestigious tournament for the young age group and and a tournament that Watford have won twice uh, under our our goal yeah, under our golden era, I suppose we you might call it of youth football uh, under under Tom Wally. It's very hard to sort of say. Uh, you know, we normally talk about the, the first team in terms of what happened in the last game and how we reflect on that in the next game. You've only watched one game, um, and as you say, the very young young players. Um, how do you reflect on the game then, Colin? Uh, was it you know, especially like? You know, did you see the, the similar style that we're seeing in the first team down there in the under 18s or was it was it completely different? No, it was absolutely the same, and I think that that's one of the great things when a football club is is ticking along nicely as we are at the moment you see the the age groups playing in the same style as the first team and I don't know whether that's come down from Munoz or whether that's just something they discuss in coaches meetings but we, we set up with a 4-3-3 we had two wide men up front and a centre forward and then we had uh, three midfielders and a back four and so we were in a very similar shape to what we've grown used to under Munoz with the first team and we were to play the same style of football in that we were trying to keep the ball gain control of possession and, and then slowly put the opposition under pressure whereas Lincoln who are also flying high in in, in League One and have a great group uh, of youngsters because they really put up a good account of themselves and, and, and I would say probably <laughs> uh, just turning off my Watford uh, bias they probably deserve to go through I would I would say but great thing and we've seen this again with the first team is that we went behind uh, the team uh, stayed calm, managed to get an equaliser. Then later in the game, gave up another goal, went behind for the second time, 2-1 down. And then in halfway through the second half, able to get the equaliser. A mistake, sadly, from a defender. And um, a Watford player got onto it and, and, and scored a very nice hit and very nice finish into the far uh, side of the goal to make it to all. And then there was a rather comical moment because the game had been played at such a tempo. Around about 85 minutes, there was about seven or eight. One player went down with cramp and then about seven or eight players all just sat on the grass. And I was thinking, they're not going to ask them to do extra time, surely. They look absolutely exhausted. But um, they managed all sort of to recover to all at 90 minutes. And yes, they were faced with another half an hour. And in that half an hour, we really, really did impose ourselves. We won a penalty, very soft, I think. The, The Lincoln players were furious. But, you know, at this level, referee makes up his mind. He's not going to change it. And then Kuka, who's the centre forward, comes up and he absolutely smashes it straight down the middle. In fact, a little bit high for my taste, went into the roof of the net. 
he's been practicing with Troy Deeney, that's for sure, I reckon. Absolutely, straight out of the Troy Deeney playbook. Uh, and, you know, in, in a way, it, it, we deserved to go through, obviously, because we scored the third goal, but also because we had that, uh, the fitness levels in that extra half an hour and we had the defensive ability to keep them out. But it was a, just a really, really good game of youth football and uh, I personally really enjoyed it. We, we're not going to sort of, you know, look at these players and say, oh, who's ready to, to play in the first team? But you do, do, you do, you do think about that a little bit. Who was the standout players for you who you think, yeah, maybe you've got the, the thing that if it continues, you know, you're only under 18 now, if you, you know, develop into the under 23s, that we're going to, we might see you in a Watford shirt at Vicarage Road playing for the first team. Well, there was a couple, actually. I thought Ford uh, gave a good account of himself. And Manning, who played in the Ken Semmer role, if you like, wide on the left, I thought he, he also had some good moments. Sometimes his first touch let him down and his, his crossing was a bit patchy, but he looks like a player to me. He's big and burly. Uh, he's got some upper body strength. He's got some pace. But the player that stood at me uh, in the whole game really was Sonny Blue Low Everton. He plays in, in, in the number seven shirt, he plays in, in the middle of the park, and every time he got the ball, he seemed to be calm. He had, he had a good first touch, it was hard to get the ball off him. And it's, it's that thing you always notice, John, when a player is a good player, and the opposition know they're a good player. As soon as he gets the ball, they take a step back instead of a step forward, because they don't want to be embarrassed or, or let him get past them. Or But of course, when they do that, they give him a bit more time on the ball, and he knows how to use it. He can find a pass, and he looks a prospect. And I think we've We've seen him on the bench, haven't we? I think he played in the Tranmere replay last season, or he was certainly on the bench in that game because we remember we had to play on a Tuesday and a Thursday. And uh, I think he may even have been on the bench this season for the first team. So he looks like looks like someone who may, if they continue to work hard, follow the hung bow example, if you like, uh, work hard, catch the eye of the coaches and, and move slowly up, and maybe get a chance uh, on the bench with the first team very soon. Excellent. We, you know, we, we put our podcast out twice a week. There's another new episode uh, of a Watford podcast out. Haunted Heaven, Colin. Uh, another episode. What kind of episode is this one? It's called Mr. Mainwood. Uh, what kind of episode is this? Because Ollie writes them. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're slightly uh, ridiculous, but in a, in a really good, fun way when you're talking about <laughs> dead Watford fans. And sometimes they really get you in the heart. Which one is this? I think it's one of the latter, actually, John. It's, it's one that tugs at, at the heartstrings a little bit and makes you realise that we use... I think the overriding message from the, from the episode is that, you know, as, as human beings, and particularly in this last uh, year under the pandemic and under the restrictions we've had to live by, we need to have coping mechanisms to, in order to get through things that are, can be very difficult. And that can be, you know, talking to our friends on Zoom or, you know, following a football club every three days. Um, and, and anything, you know, it could be... It could be doing a bit of art or doing something creative or whatever it is, or going for a walk or taking more exercise, something that helps you get through a difficult time. And that is essentially what this episode is about. And it centers around uh, a chap who arrives in Hornet Heaven at the age of 34 and is slightly confused by what he discovers. And it takes him back through his past. And we learn quite a bit about this young man and it centers around the character of Bill Mainwood. And it's, it's, a, it's an excellent piece of writing from Ollie, as always. I mean, he never ceases to amaze me. As you say, the variety of stories that he's able to come up with, the variety of styles of writing that he's able to produce. Uh, for me, it's just an absolute joy and it's, it's a gift to, um, to be given the scripts to, to, you know, to make into audio. So uh, this is another great one and, uh, and well done, Ollie. 
Yeah, it's out now. Go to your normal podcasting places uh, where you can uh, download Hornet Heaven. Uh, and here's a clip uh, from the very, very beginning of the podcast where we start getting to see actually how, uh, how important a, a character like Bill Mainwood was uh, to many, many Watford fans. Look, Dad. The man's got some old programmes. Shut up and just get in the queue. But I'd like to... Do you want a slap? You're lucky to be getting today's programme. Jeez, look at the state of this hut. Right, next. Oh, hello, young man. Today's programme you're after, is it? Lovely. That'll be ten pence. Thank you. Is this your first match by any chance? I can usually tell. Yes, mister. What's your name? Gary Carpenter, mister. Well, you wait there a moment, Gary. I've got something for you. Let's see. Yes, here you are. You can have this. It's a programme from four years ago, March 1970. It was only Hull City at home. But do you see that photo on the front? That's Watford, scoring against Liverpool. Wow, Watford have played Liverpool. In the FA Cup. And we beat them too. 1-0. That's Barry Endine heading the winner. It was a very special day. And from today, you're supporting a very special club. Come on, Gary. You bought your programme. Can I keep this, mister? With my compliments. Come on, Gary. Ow. Thank you, mister. Mister. My name's Bill Mainwood. Thank you, Mr. Mainwood. It is the international break. Jason, I set you a challenge to pick a Watford starting 11 of Watford players, when they were Watford players, who were capped internationally. I'll tell you one particular rule. You can only pick one player from each country. So you can have two England players. You can have two Scotland players. Before, before Jason reads it, Mike, you, you've seen it. What, what, have you got any things you think you're going to pick him up on? Yes, I do. One oh. in particular, and uh, and it's really on behalf of my mum, who's becoming a regular feature <laughs> in the in the podcast in the, in the recent couple of weeks. But um, yeah, that's a little clue as to to. to I one think of I my know where that's going to be then. Well, <laughs> let, let, let's see. Okay. Our job, Jason, basically, is to persuade you to, to change your team. It is your team. It is, it's a good team, but we might have some things change around. Um, so let's go this to in goal. There are a few goalies to pick from. There are a few names that. May have got in there, or maybe not. Big pants. Uh, Arlowskis, I think they all got capped while they were warming the bench at Watford. Tony Miola. And to be fair, Fozzie had a a game for England when he was on loan with Watford. But I've gone gone for a a player who earned his first two international caps whilst at Watford and is probably one of the greatest international goalkeepers of all time, and that is Northern Ireland's Pat Jennings. We met him, didn't we, Mike, at the uh, the, the Northern Ireland Tales of the Vicarage event at the Palace Theatre. Uh, he was, you know, a footballing statesman. Uh, was the feeling I sort of got when we we were chatting to him. But I, I think I know where you're going to be going, Michael. And we might yes. have to have a goalkeeper change to fit in the player <laughs> you slash your mum wants to fit in because you're back four, Jason. Let's go from from left to right. On the left hand side, I I've picked a. Proper hard nutter because the the um, <laughs> just to give some context of the whole team, I've picked a team that I feel not necessarily the greatest players in every position, although some are certainly greats. So I've picked a team that I think Watford fans will love and take to their heart as well, 
and this guy is a proper hard nutter because the uh the rest might need a little bit of support but we need a bit of passion in there we need a bit of uh bloodlust almost so i've gone for greasy's jose holovas very oh, nice jose. in the middle i don't think you could have a better looking centre-back pairing <laughs> which is important in uh, international football which might be the reason why mrs uh, parkin doesn't change her mind <laughs> exactly exactly and uh and and probably why Hollabat is playing out on the left so first of all i've gone for a, a player who i know a lot of watford fans love he scored one of the most important watford goals in history and that is the united states of america's jay demerit and next to him, well, part of, of our role on this podcast, John, is to keep not Mrs. Parkin happy, but Michael Parkin happy. <laughs> and I know he will be pleased with the inclusion of Austria's Sebastian Prudel. Oh, be still my beating heart. <laughs> I could just imagine this this press conference where uh, a Watford manager has, has picked the team and they say, and who you, who's going to play in the centre-back? Well, I, I consulted with the Parkins and uh, <laughs> they've said that they are good-looking enough. You know, you've got to pick some some legends, Jason, to, to say to keep this as a, a crowd-pleasing sort of eleven. Who have you put at right-back? Yeah, it was a tough decision. There, there's probably better players out there that could go at right back. Um, for example, Holland's D- Daryl Yanmat may uh, feel a little bit aggrieved to be missing out here. But I've gone for the legends. That is Jamaica's Lloyd Doyley. Very, very nice. Yeah, good. Yeah, the the midfield. Um, I think your, your wingers uh, almost go without saying. One, you put John Barnes uh, on the left and you put mm-hmm. Ismail Assar. On the right. Mm-hmm. Ishmael is, is almost like that's quite easy. Senegal, there's no competition there. But picking John Barnes as your only England player that you allowed, was that, was that a hard pick, Jace? It was, it was a tough decision because um, really the competition is between Barnes and Luther up front. But then I sort of thought about my strikers and how they will work with Barnsley, and and I'm I'm happy with the uh, with the combination I've got going. Yeah. And like you say, I've picked gone for a four four two formation. So we've got Barnsley out and out winger on the left hand side. If you're if you're a traditional old school Mike Bassett four four two, your manager will tell you if you've got an out and out winger on one side, you're going to have a player who can probably tuck in a bit more and sort of drive inwards on the other side so that's why we've gone for Senegal's Ishmael Assar over there uh, and in the centre got we quite attacking in the wide positions so centrally we're a little bit more solid a little bit more defensive and I've picked uh, picked another Watford legend one club legend in the middle not just because he's a great midfielder but also he can play equally well at left back for when Jose Holabas gets sent off and that is <laughs> Wales Kenny Jacket uh, and next to him is the delightfully underrated um, from the Premier League era, uh, a player that I always loved. Didn't always get a, a, a guaranteed place in the uh, in, in the Watford eleven, but always a joy to see him on the pitch. And that is Switzerland's Valon Barami. Oh, there's quite a lot of aggression in your team there, mm. Jason, with Holobas and Barami. Out front, we got this Ishmael Azar running down the right and John Barnes, the support from the midfield uh, of Jacket and Barami. Who, who's going to be the, the two men in the box for your Watford capped 11? Well, again, a sort of 4 4 2. I've gone for a sort of big man, little man combination. And this is where I'm getting really excited about this side. <laughs> you got Barnsley 
running down the left, whipping these crosses in. Who else do you want to get on the end of those other than Iceland's Heide Helgeson? Can you imagine that? See, can you feel how excited I'm getting about that happening? It's amazing. <laughs> if that was an actual team, the top goal scorer in the entire league would be Heide Helgeson and the first ever player to score every single goal off a header, I suspect. Uh, and alongside him? Okay, so we've got the big man, we need the little man, the little poacher, the guy who's going to mop up all the um, all the loose balls in the box, fox in the box. It is, and I've gone for a very good looking team again, haven't I? You can tell it is <laughs> Scotland's Mo Johnston. Wow. So it, it's a very interesting team, Jason. I set you the homework. You, you did it quite quickly. I would say that was the first, my first surprise. You didn't spend four days going, mm, uh, I'm not sure, but I um, know you went for it and you were committed to it. Mike, where, where are you? And remember, Mike, you, you can't, you have to have only one player per nation. So if you want to change a player and it, it contradicts that, if you're going where I think you're going, and most people who, of our age will know where you're going with this, um, what, what changes would you be trying to convince Jason to make? Well, first, can I say, Jason, that is a terrific side. Looking at it, it was quite exciting to imagine it in action. So congratulations. If you ever do get to manage the, if you're put in charge of the best looking World Cup, um, <laughs> when that when that is finally an Olympic sport in, in 2024, then you get, you get my vote. But look, I think there's one, there's a couple of people that stand, well, there's one real name that, that sticks out for me. He's one of my favourite players as a, uh, as a Watford supporter growing up. He was my absolutely my mum's favourite when I was growing up, and unfortunately for my dad, remains her favourite to this day. Absolute Rolls Royce of a defender, incredibly quick, just all round brilliant. No place for John McClelland. It is an absolute outrage. It was my first thought as well. But he's got Pat Jennings. Are you where? What, who would you put in goal? Do you think by putting Johnny Mack in there, you're going to have a strong enough defence to not necessarily put the great Pat Jennings in goal? Well, so, yeah, Jason did rattle off some of the alternatives, didn't he? And we're not, so you could put Ben Foster in because he'd got, but then you'd obviously you'd lose John Barnes on the left. Uh, Arlowskis, I, I saw him in action a couple of times, so uh, he's nowhere near handsome enough uh, facially or performance um, wise. <sighs> this is a bit left field. And he, he did mention Tony Miola. Now, <laughs> I like Tony Miola because he also tried out for the New York Jets. And we at Watford love a trier. So someone who sort of plays just like, oh, I'm going to try a bit of American football, I'm going to try a bit of football. So I've got a little bit of a little bit of a soft spot for him. But what about, he did, I think he got quite a lot of caps for his, his native team. So he needs to replace Pat Jennings. It's a difficult ask. Um, what about... Estonia's Mark Poom. Jason, this is your team. This is your team, Jason. You get to say, has Mike convinced you to change your goalkeeper to get John McLennan in there? I can actually say I saw Mark Poom in international action for Mm. Estonia at Wembley. And I think they lost (laughs) (laughs) 5-0. All right. You've not convinced him there, Mike. I don't think you convinced him. I'm going to try. I think Johnny Mack should be there. And I think if we did this in about a week and a half, you'd, you'd make it. Because if Daniel Barkman gets his international cap oh, yeah, uh, whilst a Watford player, I think that would be a very, very easy choice to make. But at this point, I don't think we can make that change. The one I really want to change is Barami. Not that I don't like Barami. Nielsen. Yeah. I just I think did, I'd yeah. put him in there instead of that. Can I, can I convince you on that, Jason? He's not quite got the, the rattiness and the runaroundness in, in the same way, but a much better playmaker. I was very close to putting him in, and that was probably the one that I 
umdenard over most. I just went with, I think in the end, I went with Barami because I had two very attacking players on, on the wings. I, I sort of was a bit more conservative in the middle. But yeah, I, I, I will give you Nielsen. I'll let you have that one. Okay, we we made at least one choice. Barami on the bench, then definitely. What about? I yeah. thought you might go for Clint Hodges, John. I know you're a big uh, Hodges. Oh uh, <laughs> well, no, he, he's Wales, and get it, uh, you know the 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 the, uh, the utility man that is Kenny Jacket. Not just as being a great player, but where he could also play. I, I think that's why I, I can't get rid of uh, I can't swap him uh, for for Galin. The other one, uh, they say, the change the goalkeeper gives you. A, could we get John McLennan as Northern Ireland as as a uh, a centre back? The other one is to put. Up front, instead of Mo Johnson, because I'm definitely going to pick Heide Helgerson, is Jerry Armstrong. Yeah. That's why we'd also have to change the goalkeeper to maybe put Jerry Armstrong up front with Heide Helgerson. Mike, that would be pretty that would be pretty good, wouldn't it? Yeah, they'd be the give the give the defence some some nightmares, I'd have thought, wouldn't it? You wouldn't want to come up against those two in their in their in their prime. So yeah, very, very interesting shout. It might change the dynamic of this um deftly put together side from from Jason, but it's certainly Certainly worth um, considering. But of course, the other ones, there's another two more recent strikers that, that have been overlooked. Uh, Odin Igalo. Oh, yeah. And Matty Vidra, of course, who uh, who did get international honours. So they're, they're easy swaps, Mark. Jason, they're easy swaps. There's no contradicting uh, of any sort of, uh, you know, two players from the same nation. C- can, you, can you be convinced to put Odin Igalo um, or, or Matty Vidra into that team? I'd, I'd thought about Vidra, but just didn't think he had quite enough at the, the top level. Whereas whereas Mo obviously had a great run in the top flight. Igalo, maybe. maybe. I just thought in terms of a, 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 the quality of the player, I think I liked Mo Johnston more. Perhaps the bad boy of Mo Johnston, the is yeah, coming back to yeah. that aggression again in the side and that sort of yeah, determination to win and, and get the goals for me. Um, and also, so a shout out to the Jerry Armstrong one as well. I remember the first World Cup. I remember watching on the telly. I distinctly remember watching the the Spain Northern Ireland game when Jerry Armstrong scored and seeing a, a, a Watford player stick the ball in the in the back of the net to win. That was was. Um, I, as a as a young lad, I felt quite proud, but no one's getting rid of Pat Jennings for me, so um, unlucky. We've already already heard a clip from uh, from Hornet Heaven on the podcast, uh, and I, I had a word with uh, with Ollie Wicken. You know, you, you picked uh, uh, every player you've picked is basically from the eighties onwards, apart from from Pat Jennings. There's one player that you probably don't know where, know about, Jason, and I, I don't know morally if we if you would, would ever pick him, and he would mean John Barnes would be out of the team, but from 1891 to 1892, uh, Arthur Tempest, a Dunn, uh, played for Watford. Now, technically, he was a bit of a ringer. Uh, he played two games for Watford, both in the Hearts Cup. But in between those two performances, he played for England. So I don't know if we're, would you allow, Mike, can, can, can a ringer go into this? Well, if it's a FIFA-sanctioned tournament, then absolutely, because anything goes when it comes to them, doesn't it? How how did he do for England, though? That's the big question. Did he dribble past about five Brazilians in Rio um, to score a wonder goal? If he didn't, then he's not getting in. (laughs) Well, going to the Watford uh, archive, seven days before he made making his final appearance for Watford Rovers, he captained England to a 2-0 victory over Wales at Wrexham. Captain, you see. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's some quality in there. 
Wrexham, Rio, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe he's not going to get rid of John Barnes in what is more of a, a modern sort of game. But thank you to Ollie uh, for pointing out that sort of little nugget. Uh, a man who played two games for Watford uh, and in between uh, captained, and, captained uh, and won a game for England. Jason, so we're only going to make that one change in the midfield. I'm going to give you Alan Nielsen. Yeah, I, I did have him under serious consideration. So I, I'm more than happy for uh, him to slot in there uh, in place of Valon Barami. Sorry, Valon. I was going to overtake you as hipster, Jason, try and squeeze in Tamas Priskin up front, maybe get Joel Ekstrand in, in, in defence as well. Maybe even Danny Shitu in there as well. But uh, you, you're proving to be a strict taskmaster and um, it's a very, very good side. So I'm not even going to, going to try. So sorry to the likes of Mariapa, Nara and Nosworthy. You're not getting in. Jason's uh, he's he's tough. Well, the final the final lineup then for Jason's Watford internationally capped eleven uh, in goal: Pat Jennings, uh, back four of Jose Holabas, Jay Demerit, uh, Sebastian Prudel, and Lloyd Doyley in the midfield. It's out wide on the left: John Barnes, Kenny Jacket, and Alan Nielsen uh, in the centre, with Ishmael Azar on the right and up front, uh, banging all the goals in: uh, Mo Johnson from Scotland and Iceland's Heide Helgeson. We'll be back again next weekend. Uh, we'll have a podcast out ready for Saturday uh, to fill that Watford gap that you'll have. Uh, talk about the rest of the season uh, and the final eight games and the running Watford have to try and clinch that place back to the Premier League. Thank you very much, Michael. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, and thank you, Jason. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for listening. Do tell your friends. Uh, you can find us on social media at Watford Podcast. Uh, and of course, download that podcast from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Eight games to go. Come on, you all! The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.